0: Come on back. All right. Uh, It is my great privilege uh, to not preach for us today because the person who is I love very dearly. Um, This is one person, he's accomplished a lot already, and he's only, I think, only a couple years older than me. Uh, But more than what he's accomplished, uh, I love Stanley, Dr. Stanley John. I am... So privileged. I feel, I really, really believe this. He's one of the people who not only just I'm happy to know on like a professional level, but I'm really grateful to be able to call him my friend because he is an amazing person. He loves the Lord, has been given an amazing testimony, and has come here and is willing to be friends with people like me. And so it is my privilege to introduce to us Dr. Stanley John. Thank you for being here. Thank you.
1: <laughs> my goal is to one day preach in flip-flops. <laughs> it's, uh, of, of all my accomplishments, uh, that is one I don't have yet. And, uh, and I'm, in, I'm interested that Pedro included uh, being friends with him as one of my great accomplishments. It, the joy is really mine. I, I love this man and Ann, and it's, can you all hear me okay? Uh, it's really a joy for me to be with you all. I also have a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old, and so I especially uh, know the challenges that, uh, and joys that Pedro and Ann are going through, and their lovely family. I've known them for, uh, I guess, eight years now. We've worshipped together at Ridgeway. I did sneak in here a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, sat in the back because uh, I wanted to just check out uh, your church. Because I'm also giving leadership to a small little new church campus uh, in New Rochelle, in New York, where I'm with Ridgeway Church and we've launched a, ch- a new campus about the Sunday before COVID broke out. I know. Pray for us. Uh, it, we had one gathering before New Rochelle was announced as the epicenter for COVID in in the US. And so we've gone through our challenges these last two years, and I wanted to come and see how Pedro is doing it. And of course, it's with all of your support and grace. So great to be with all of you. Uh, I'm just gonna launch into the sermon today. I did find out that there's another Stanley here. Um, And so I I think that he thought he was preaching today. I had to assure him to not let his anxiety get too high. Uh, I do have quite a quite a bit of ground to cover, so I don't want to spend too much time uh, in the intro. There are many types of sermons, and of course, the most uh, common one and the one that I feel most comfortable preaching is what we call an expository sermon, which most of you might be familiar with. It's where you take a passage of scripture, you look at what happened before, you look at what happened after, you look at the text, and you explain the text. Classic, just teach what the Bible says. You know, it's a wonderful way of preaching God's word. Another one is something that many of you might be familiar. It's called a topical sermon, where you look at a particular topic in scripture, such as the anger of God, or let's not preach on that, right? But the love of God or something like that. You look at throughout the scripture. I'm going to use a a model of sermon today that is neither of those that uh, is actually a character study where you look at a particular character in the Bible where there may not be enough in a one verse or two verse to get a full grasp of their lives, but I want to look at this couple. It's actually a husband and wife team, and I'm going to look at throughout the scripture and how God used this couple. Uh, The title of my talk today is God's Kingdom Workers. And if you will turn your eyes either to the screen or in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. And I'm going to read the first few verses and then I'm going to skip down and read verse 18 and 19. All right, hear God's word. After this... Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, He stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, skip down a few verses to verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. And then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centuria because of a vow that he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is power, that it's the inspired word of God. We thank you, Lord, Of how you have worked throughout the years, throughout the centuries, and as we look at the early church today, we pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear how you worked in the early church, how you used simple people, common people, people like us sitting here today, Lord. You've used the simplicity of our yeses to build your kingdom, and we pray that you would do that with our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're first introduced to this couple in Acts chapter 18. And verse 1 begins with these with this phrase, after this, Paul left Athens. So of course, you know that from at least looking at the maps at the end of your Bible, that there's at least three missionary journeys of Paul. We may add another trip to Rome, or we may add another Uh, mission strip that he took uh, early on, but essentially there are three missionary journeys. First one begins in Acts chapter 13 where the Spirit of God spoke to the church and said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the ministry that I have for them. They went out Preached the gospel all across central, well, it's really Turkey, the province of Asia, Asia. And they preached all across there, returned, gave this glowing report. You have the Council of Jerusalem that is dealing with, oh my gosh, Gentiles are coming to faith. What do we do with them? And then you have the launch of the second missionary journey in Acts chapter, end of 15 and the beginning of chapter 16. Paul gets the vision of the man from Macedonia and that is the launch of the first time the gospel steps foot into the continent of Europe and so we see Paul journeys from Turkey which is in the in the continent of Asia they get on a boat they land in the town of Philippi which is in the country of Greece and that is the first time the gospel crosses in and so from Philippi they travel into Thessalonica. Into Thessalonica they go to Athens in chapter uh, in chapter 17, and then we see Paul landing in verse one of chapter 18 in the city of Corinth, which of course you know, First and Second Corinthians is written to this church. Now this is a famous in scriptures as a problem church. Well, how did this church come about? And that's the Early start of this church that we're reading about here. And we're told Paul arrives in Corinth where he meets with this couple. This couple preceded Paul to Corinth. They were already established in Corinth. And we're told that Aquila is from Pontus. So get this. You have to get the geography here. They are in Europe. They are in Greece, in Corinth. But Aquila is from northern Turkey. So, in other words, he's had a cross-continental, transcontinental trip to get to Corinth. But we know he didn't get to Corinth from Turkey. He actually got to Corinth from Italy. If you don't have a heart for geography, I think this may be a little tough, all right? But hang with me. There's a point in all of this. and I think I have a map for this in a second. So, we have Aquila there. And then we're told his wife's name is Priscilla. Priscilla is interesting. Priscilla is the term that Luke, the doctor, prefers in his writings. But Paul, when Paul refers to Priscilla, he uses the diminutive, which is Prisca. All right. So they refer to both of them. And we know both of them, Aquila, we're told, is Jewish from Turkey, now in Corinth. And then verse two tells us that Claudius had expelled them from Rome what was going on Claudius was the Emperor at this time and we're told that there was a well we don't have this in scripture here but there was a big conflict between Jewish Christians and the Jews living in Rome at the time that historians tell us number anywhere between 20 to 30 thousand Jewish people in Rome at the time the conflict was with between this group of Jews who had become followers of Jesus and these other Jews that were already living there, this big conflict spilled over into the public arena that Claudius came and said, all you guys, all y'all, get out of here, right? So that's my little Southern coming out. So he kicked all of them out. But in reality, it is a logistical nightmare to think of kicking 30,000 people out of an early city. So in reality, what must have happened is he expelled all the leaders of the church. That's why the scriptures can say he expelled all of them, meaning most likely that they were the leaders. So in order for Aquila and Priscilla to be expelled, they were most likely leaders of the church in Rome. How did the church in Rome begin? Well, of course, we don't have that in scripture in the book of Acts. We know that Paul did not start the church in Rome. Most likely, this is the birth of what came out of the day of Pentecost. Of course, we knew that there were people from Rome in Acts chapter 2 hearing the praises of God that was spoken by the people as they were being filled with the Spirit. They brought the gospel back, and of course, we see the launch of a church in Rome. Either way, we have to then look at what is really going on with this couple. They're Jews that are diaspora Jews. There are migrant Jews who had left Israel, Palestine, and they were living in other places. Somehow they had migrated to Rome. And from there they were expelled. So we have to ask, what were the types of Jews in Rome at the time? Historians again tell us there were really three groups of Jewish people at the time. First are slaves, right? You have People that were part of this Roman empire who were taken from place to place as slaves. At some point, these slaves grew up along with nobility families, and sometimes they were freed later on in life. They did not become citizens per se, but they were freed slaves per se. Most likely, Paul the Apostle's family comes from a lineage of slaves that were freed. That's why the uh, book of Acts refers to something called a synagogue of freed persons, you see? So you have the slaves. The other group are the citizens. Of course, Paul was a Roman citizen. He says, I was born a citizen, right? And he says, uh, of course, you know, in in uh, Philippi, after they beat him up and they say, you're a Roman citizen, would you please leave quietly? He says, no, that's when he pulls out his passport. I would have pulled out my passport before I got beaten, you know what I mean? You can't touch me, you know, but no, 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 he pulled his passport after he got beaten, right? So either way, the point is, Paul was a Roman citizen. So you have the slaves, you have Roman citizens. And of course, slaves, among marriages among slaves are not recognized by the state. And of course, citizens could not be expelled without legal recourse. And that's why Paul, when they were trying to deal with him, he said, no, I appeal to Caesar, Right. He can appeal directly to Caesar because he's a citizen. So Aquila and Priscilla are most likely not slaves because their marriage is recognized. They're not citizens because they are expelled. They are in this middle category of what's called peregrinus, Latin phrase for a foreign resident. What in America we might call permanent residents or non-resident aliens or green card holders or a host of other statuses that are legal, that you're in the country that you're not citizen, but you can live and work, right? We might call this uh, H1B holders, if you will, right? And all of these is legitimate residency that they have to work. But my point in all of this is they are migrant workers in the city. So when Paul meets them here in verse 1 and verse 2, we're told Paul arrives in Corinth, After a big debate in Athens, after planting the church in Philippi with Lydia and then Thessalonica, he was preaching. Man, he's like causing trouble everywhere he's going, right? People are beating him up, throwing, but he just keeps preaching the gospel. But he gets to Corinth. And the first thing we're told is he joins Aquila and Priscilla in their trade because they were tent makers like him. So... Here is Paul, he has a vocation, he has a profession, he finds a couple that also has a profession, and he joins them in this tent-making business. So typically, archaeological evidence has shown us that in Rome, the way that these things were set up is you had townhouses, if you will, or rows of home, and then you had the entry point or the bottom ground floor as the main shop. And behind the shop is where the residence was. And sometimes they had a second floor quarters. And sometimes in the hallway was where people gathered for these house church meetings. So what we know is Paul joined them in this business, worked with them, and most likely lived with them. And so it provided a legitimate way for him to live in the city and Earn a living. That's why, of all the places Paul writes throughout the uh, New Testament, he writes to the Corinthian church, especially because they caused him so much trouble, and he says, my own hands provided for my needs and the needs of my coworkers, right? He says, I didn't depend on y'all. I worked and paid so that I could do ministry among you. But what he doesn't say explicitly, at least at that moment, is that was only possible because Aquila and Priscilla took him in. Business people. Now, there are about six places throughout the New Testament where this couple's name is mentioned, Aquila and Priscilla. And what's really interesting is four out of the six times their names are mentioned, Priscilla's name precedes Aquila's name, which in ancient times and an ancient way of writing, historically, this is highly unusual, and because it was a very male-dominant society, it was a patriarchal society. and But among Roman, in the Roman Empire, unlike the Jewish center, women had more prominence. Women had more rights. Women had more ability to lead even in the public sphere. And that is why we see Priscilla's name at least in four of the six instances leading the, coming first. In other words, she had a much more prominent role in the life of the church. So, Now we're told, you're tracking with me so far? That was just the introduction, all right? Now let's really get into it. And so then we're told, he was a tent maker, so he stayed with them. And then in verse, uh, uh, you know, verse, what was it? 18, we're told, after Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, and then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So get what had happened. Paul stayed there and worked there for 18 months, after which he packed up and then started to sail to his next city. But this time, he took with him this couple that he had just met. So what we then find is they land in the city of Ephesus. But Paul, it says, left this couple in the city of Ephesus and sailed on to Syria, and Aquila and Priscilla were the catalyst for launching the church in Ephesus. Here's what Paul writes. From the city of Ephesus, he writes to the church in Corinth, and I think I have the scripture up. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 19. Paul is writing and he says, "The churches in the province of Asia or Asia send you greetings." Asia is the province of Turkey, which is where the city of Ephesus is located. And he is telling to the church in Corinth, which is in Europe, the churches in Ephesus, in Turkey, sends you greetings. Verse 19, look at this, Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. Hello! Do you all catch that? There is a church that meets at the home of Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus where they have gone as migrant workers where they set up a business and started a house church. That church is sending greetings to Corinth where they previously lived. Right, So, Paul is writing this from Ephesus in the mid-50s, and they have already planted a church. Later on in chapter 18, at the end of chapter 18, we're told that there is a man named Apollos. We're said he's a very learned man. He's a very intelligent man. And he was arguing persuasively about the impact that Jesus has made. And he's talking about Jesus to all the Jews and leading a lot of converts. But he was a little deficient in his theology. So, we're told Priscilla and Aquila... Took them, took him into their home and explained the way of the Lord more fully. And then he went on with letters of recommendation from them to Achaia, which is this new, which is this region of Korah, which is the region of Corinth, I believe, from Ephesus. He went from Ephesus to Corinth with letters from the church, particularly Aquila and Priscilla, giving them the stamp of approval. There, he preached the gospel, leading many Jews to the Lord. But Priscilla and Aquila again led the way. Here's another reference to them. It's in 2 Timothy, verse 4 and 19. Now, Paul is writing this, 2 Timothy, toward the end of his life. We already know that Timothy is Paul's protege. And Timothy is seen as the pastor of the church of Ephesus, so to speak. So here's what Paul writes to Timothy. He says in chapter 4, verse 19, Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. What Paul recognizes is that Priscilla and Aquila stayed on in Ephesus with Timothy many years after Paul left them in Ephesus, and they led a house church. And then finally, toward the very end in Romans, in chapter 16, I think this is the last verse we will look at, right? For those of you who are tracking and thinking, oh my gosh, he's jumping all over the place. Romans chapter 16 look at what Paul writes. So Paul is writing Romans to the church in Rome. Chapter 16 is the last chapter in the book in the epistle to the Romans, the letter, and chapter 16 is where Paul lists out all the people that Paul knows in the church of Rome. He's greeting many, many, many people there. Here's what Paul says in verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. Notice Priscilla comes first here again. My Co-workers in Christ Jesus. Ah, notice this. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Ah, look at verse 5. Greet also the church that meets in there. In other words, oh, let's just slow down here, right? I'm getting a little, I want to like just get to the punchline. But notice. Greek, Priscilla, and Aquila, my co-workers. Co-workers is a Greek word. Now, do you know why we use Greek words? We paid a lot of money to learn it, you know? We have to use it once. You know, I can't use it on the street, so I got to use it in here, you know? No, no, there's a reason. The word that's translated co-workers is the Greek word synergos or synergoi. It's one of Paul's favorite words to talk about all of the, his co-workers. So he talks about Timothy and Titus and Epaphras and and Epaphras and a host of people that Paul worked with in the New Testament, this is his word to describe them. He calls them his co-workers. Synergos is the root word from which we get the English word. Synergy. So Paul says, my gosh, it's because of them that I can work synergistically for the kingdom. He says, they are my co-workers. Co-workers, now, they risked their lives. They put their neck on the line when Paul needed to escape from one city to the next. They used their credibility. They used their passports. They used their business to offer cover for Paul. They risked their lives. And, of course, he says, all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. And, of course, they are. So, notice, they were leaders of the church in Corinth. They were leaders of the church in Ephesus that met in their house, and now they're back in Rome, and they are leaders of the house church that meets in their home. So by this point, when Paul is writing this letter, Claudius has died, and his edict of expelling the Jews has been repealed. And what we now know is that Aquila and Priscilla made their way from Ephesus back to Rome when this is taking place. What's also really interesting, which I won't get into today, is uh, unless you have another hour to sit and listen, you know, is that if you look at all the names in chapter 16, more than 40% in Romans chapter 16, 40% of the names that are mentioned there are names of women leaders. And there's more than a half a dozen people that are mentioned in chapter 16 who were house church leaders in Rome so there were many house church churches that were there all right but here's my point that i want to make as we kind of bring this to a crux here migrant workers and i think i have this on the screen here migrant workers spread the gospel through the process of forced migration or voluntary migration employing their vocational skills and trade in establishing livelihoods, which provides the base for missions. See, this family, this couple, of course, had forced migration from Rome and they went to Corinth. But it was a voluntary migration from Corinth. Again, I'm a mig- I did my doctoral work in migration. That's why you're seeing all this migration analysis. From Corinth, they went to Ephesus voluntarily. And again, an opportunity arose when the expulsion was repealed, and they went from Ephesus back to Europe. So what you see in this couple is migration is propelling and creating an environment for their movements. And everywhere they've gone, they brought their skill set with them, and they established... Not just a business as a cover for ministry. No, they established legitimate businesses. Why? Because they were legitimate business people. They had skills that were monetizable, that was scalable, that was actually workable. But what they never lost in the process of setting up these businesses, they never lost their kingdom vision and their kingdom heart. Everywhere they went, they established work of business where they gave legitimate cover for people like Paul, but then they also served the kingdom. What Porto Pedro didn't mention, and I think my brother Stanley and his dear family also uh, mirror, is I grew up in Kuwait. I was born and raised in an Indian family in Kuwait. uh, And uh, my my parents moved there in the 70s uh, for work from the southern Indian state of Kerala. Now, if you look at this region, the entire, most of you know the glamour of Dubai, right? Oh, these buildings, it's like Vegas on steroids. I get that, right? But all of that developed in the last 20 years. There was nothing there 20 years ago, right? And so even Dubai doesn't have oil, right? Abu Dhabi has oil, and, but all of this development is recent. Kuwait discovered oil in the 40s, exported in the 50s, but it was formed as a country only in the 60s. Saudi discovered oil a little bit before, but all of these countries have had this development only in the last 60, 70 years. These are very recent, modern-day nation states. Until very recently, this region was completely, almost, they would say, 99.9% Muslims, Islamic. In fact, there were wonderful missionaries that have spent their lives in this region a hundred years ago from this region, from New Jersey, guys. Did you know that? Some of you are not. New Jersey, New Brunswick Theological Seminary. There was a couple of, yeah, they went all over the Gulf. They established hospitals and clinics in UAE, in Alain, in places like in Oman, in Kuwait. Missionaries from New Jersey, from the RCA, from Church of America. They went. There were the, um, you know, they, Arthur Bennett was the one that came to Kuwait. Uh, Samuel Zwemer was the medical missionary that went to the Gulf, and they started hospitals and clinics. And it is the land that they purchased a hundred years ago where the Christians in Kuwait still worship on that land, because that is the land that legally was purchased by the mission where now Christians can worship. In fact, the work that they did 100 years ago offers legitimate expression of Christian worship in Kuwait today, which, for example, Saudi does not have. But what we do not realize is, despite all of that work, and I've read some Muslim reports and uh, you know, Kuwaiti analysis of the mission work, And all of their analysis is that this work ended in dismal failure. They didn't reach even one convert, and the only converts they got were people that were mad. You know, this is like one of the Muslim arguments for why someone would ever convert and become a Christian. No, it's because he's majnun. He's crazy. That's why he became a Christian, you know. So that's one of their arguments. But what they don't realize is what they claim is a dismal failure has been completely appended because of migrant workers. Migrant workers have been coming into this region, really, since the 60s, really peaking in the 80s, 90s, and now, of course, continuing to hype. So that's why, in my estimation, in Kuwait, for example, you know, our unreached people groups numbers in the world, we say is about 2%. If a region has less than 2%, that's an unreached people group. Or a region has less than 5%, it's a least-reached people group. We talk about it in those terms. But Kuwait, today, has 17% Christian. Do you know that? Why? Yes, the majority of that are not Kuwaitis. Maybe a handful of Kuwaitis. The majority of that is migrant workers. Saudi has over a million Christians. Almost all of them migrant workers. Dubai and all of these countries and regions have significant numbers of Christians. Why? Because migrant workers have moved. And where migrant workers have gone, they have established the church. And because of the establishment of the church, due to migration, it has changed the religious demography of the region. So what di- has not happened for since 600 is when Islam came on the scene, right? So for the last, someone do the math, 1400 years, what has not happened is happening under our eyes for the very first time in history. The Arabian Gulf region is changing due to migrant work. And it's not Mainly because of clergy that are vocational clergy moving there. It is because of workers, migrant workers that have gone. And we don't have time to go through all of the first person that Paul meets when he gets to Philippi, when he sees he saw the vision of the man from Macedonia. Oh my gosh, time is flying by, isn't it? I'm only like halfway through my sermon, by the but... But think about it. He saw the man of the vision for the ma- man from Macedonia, but he, when he landed in Philippi, who did he see? He saw a woman. He saw Lydia, who was a purple cloth merchant, a businesswoman. And I could go through story after story of female business leaders that were catalysts for the ministry of Jesus and for the ministry of Paul. Here's my second point, my friends. Let's go to the next one. We need to rethink the role of home in ministry and missions. Migrant workers initiate, sustain, and maintain Christian communities in profound ways through their homes. And you have time for a long quote? Let me quote the founder of our denomination. Here's A.B. Simpson. Do you know who that person is? You need to get to know him, right? Here's what Simpson writes about a hundred years ago. He says, and so the service of Aquila and Priscilla was enlarged and exalted until their home became the very sanctuary of the early church and the starting point of the greatest movements of early Christianity. It was there as we have seen that the church in Corinth was nurtured and cherished. It was there that Apollos was led into the light It was there, afterwards, that the church in Ephesus began. It was there the greatest of all churches, the church in Rome, seems to have started. At least, it is certain that they had returned to Rome before Paul visited that city. Indeed, before he even wrote his great epistle to the Romans. For in the closing readings, he mentions the church. Let's jump down. The ministry of Priscilla must not be forgotten. It was all womanly. It was never apart from her husband. She's always mentioned with him, but she is no mere mere cipher. Indeed, we can almost infer from the way the apostle speaks of this beautiful pair that she became at last the stronger nature of the two. The first references to them, it is Aquila and Priscilla, but toward the last, it is Priscilla and Aquila. And the devoted and faithful woman moves to the front. Give her and every noble woman of the fruit of her hands. Let her own works praise her in the gates." What Simpson is recognizing is the role of the home and the role of a family unit, a role of women leaders, and of course, the role of men throughout. And all of this comes to a head in how ministry is done. And So here's my last point, and I have a story for you after. God's kingdom moves forward through his disciples' whose whole lives are integrated to fulfill God's calling, and whose lives are devoted to building up the body of Christ. My point in going through all of this is very simple, my friends. It is to answer this question for us, how does kingdom work happen? How are churches built? How does God's kingdom work move forward? How did this Jesus movement with these 12 disciples become a global movement? And my answer to you, my friends, is something very simple. God uses people. And it's not only clergy. It's not just vocational people who have devoted their lives to full-time ministry, so to speak. But, my friends, it is people. It is people who live fully integrated lives of business and ministry, love for Jesus and real desire to use the skills that God has given you to build something. But it's together, all of these coming meaningfully together that allows for good kingdom work to happen. And my plea to you is don't waste your life. Give up your petty ambitions, but don't give up your skills. Give your skills, your holy vocations to the work of the kingdom. Live for a greater purpose. Be builders of God's church. This past week, we, in the Alliance, we celebrated the life of a man named Jack Klemke. Klemke uh, died in his 80s earlier this month from the city of Edmonton in Canada, And uh, he was the uh, CEO of an oil and gas company, a mining corporation in the city of Edmonton. I want to read for you an email that I got this week, actually yesterday. It is of a pastor, a Filipino pastor in Edmonton, one of my mentors, who is writing about the life of these two business people that impacted his life. He talks about the McCombs, Horatio McCombs, and um, uh, Klemke. He says, the McCombs used by the Lord to birth and reproduce this Filipino Alliance Church of Edmonton. He says, but before I could do that with them, I had to pass an unannounced test. He gave me my first car in Canada. This is going back to the 70s. It was an old Pinto Ford. Does anyone know what that is? Some of you do. It was falling apart and it was rusted. He says... I took it, now this is a 20-something-year-old Filipino immigrant man who this family took under their wing. He says, I took this car to Canadian Theological Seminary in Regina, an Alliance school, at the end of my summer internship at Milburn Alliance Church, 1983. He says, 27 Filipinos got saved, 16 got baptized in the three months, and so McCombs and the superintendent at the time offered for me to come back and work at Milburn Alliance Church to continue this work. This time, Lulu, who's his wife, and two kids came back. He says, the McCombs first housed us in his apartment building not far from Rosedale Seniors. He says, he bought me a little Honda Civic. There's a lot of cars in this story, okay? He bought me a little Honda Civic, but he let me pay him $50 per month. So I paid every month and on time. My salary was $400 at the time. After two years, he called me inside the men's bathroom of Melbourne Alliance Church. He says he washed his hands, of course, and then he returned all of my checks to me with a note that say, in red that says, forgiven forever. Fast forward to 1989, the Filipino church made an offer to buy the Punjabi Sikh temple. The alliance offered to give to match for us dollar for dollar. But McCombs called me and invited me for breakfast at David's restaurant. And then he said, you are not a businessman. I need to hear that. (laughs) You are a pastor. You are an evangelist. Call your district superintendent. I will match their dollars. So he walked inside. So we walked inside the building completely debt free. For two decades, he supplied me with all my cars. His word of wisdom to me was joy. Earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, and give as much as you can. Jack Klemke is another story who died this month. He says he took me to Three Hills, to Calgary, to Vancouver, and Fort McMurray on his private jet. Inside his jet, we talk about God's kingdom work. His words of wisdom to me was, Joy, what made Socrates a wise man? My answer was, He asked the right questions at the right time. He said, Good, you know. So I have questions for you and your wife. Four questions. Do you believe God loves you? Do you believe He will provide for your needs? Do you believe He will account for every penny that He has entrusted to you? And do you believe there will be a judgment day where you will have to give an account? He says, wow, that keeps me in line theologically and live as a Christ disciple. He says, for 30 years, Jack supported the ministry I'm called to do. But I will always remember these four questions that Jack posed to me. My question for you, my friends, is this. As we close in prayer. Will you give your whole lives to the Lord? Not just your ministry life. Not just your tithe, But your entire life. The skills that God has given you. The reputation, the wisdom, the skills he's given you. Your status, your credibility, your relationships, your jobs, your vocations. Some of you have amazing things going on inside here. Some of you have amazing things going on in your fingertips. And some of you have a lot going on inside here. But my friends, all of this... In the hands of the Lord will release you to be a kingdom worker. So my earnest plea to you is will you give your whole lives to live an integrated life, wholly devoted to serving the Lord? Will you pray with me? I want to give you a moment to just quiet your hearts and to pray in your own way to the Lord. And when you're ready, would you just open your palms to the Lord? So Lord, we offer our lives to you. God, we desire to use all that you've given us for your kingdom. We Thank you for the life of Priscilla and Aquila just servants of your kingdom with no notoriety, happy to hang in the back, but just doing great work behind the scenes. Lord, we want to be people like that. We want to be people that will help build up the body of Christ. We want to be people that will strengthen and help your kingdom grow, Lord. So use our lives, use our vocations, use our gifts, Use everything you've given us to build up your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me? Let's sing together.